Welcome back to In the Cockpit, the monthly interstitial show that we do here at Copilot's Review, where we talk about things that we're not reviewing. Oh, we're not allowed to review the things we talk about? I mean, we could review them. There's nothing stopping us from reviewing things that we talk about on In the Cockpit. But you just said where we talk about things that we're not reviewing. Yeah, I mean, like, in the same way that we review the first two episodes of the show and tell you our opinions on if a show deserves more than just one shot. Not those type of reviews. You could still review stuff on here. Nothing's stopping you. No. Neat. I have no intentions of doing that. I was just wondering, you know, we've never really super clarified if there are any rules around this or not, so I don't know. I think the rules around this are it needs to be 45 minutes and then we can ship it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Those are the rules. Before we dive into the conversation topics, if you have any. Uh, yeah, definitely. No, absolutely. Definitely just, have those. Just want to thank everybody who entered into the Copilot's annual holiday giveaway. The winners yep. have been selected. Indeed they have. We will reach out to you, let you know, and find a way to get you that cash prize. Yep. We're also on Blue Sky now. We are, actually. I believe that's going to be at copilotsreview.bsky. Dot social, I mean, technically, but if you're on Blue Sky, you can generally just search at whatever comes before the dot bsky. Yeah, it's going to be at copilotsreview.bsky.social. Yeah, but you can search just at copilotsreview and you should find it. So, that's good. That's new. We can now start migrating away from the hellscape that is Twitter. Yay! And a big shout out to infrequent guest and longtime passenger Chris for those Blue Sky social codes. Yeah, very useful. Though I do have to go back through now and... We just add it to the dash. Though I do have to go back through now and re-follow everything of import that exists on Blue Sky, at least. Yeah, and we also need to go and add that to the Simplecast website. Yep, that's not too hard, though. No, that's gonna be easy. Yeah, honestly, the following things is going to be more annoying. Yeah, I haven't really followed... I started the the process of following, but, like, only a handful. Like, the System Master guys. Yeah. Frank Lepore, my favorite Magic the Gathering content creator. Neil Gaiman, because I can't go anywhere on social media without following that man. I did the way I normally do, which is I have found that James D'Amato of One Shot. Yeah, James the Tomato. Yeah, he. I followed him later than I followed a lot of the other shit I did on Twitter. But I found he, he just followed a lot of the same shit I already followed. Mm. So, uh... Just find his page, find the things he that's follows. That's what I did, yeah, and I was like... <laughs> Here are the people I follow from James Lists. Fair enough. Yeah. And then I also use my friends that have already been on there for a while. And then just, hey, yep, I was following this before. Yeah, that one actually sounds really interesting. You know that shit. Yeah, completely understandable. That's basically how I did it as well. Yep. I did search out Frank and Neil, but... Fair enough, yeah. Like... One of those is worth searching out and following. Yeah, actually both of them are. I don't care about magic. I know you don't. But I do Uh, care about good magic systems, which is why I like Neil Gaiman. Good segue. Interrupted mine, but good segue. (laughs) I was going to say, speaking of magic, which I guess I can still say speaking of magic. Yeah. Speaking of magic, did you see the recent AI art debacle with Wizards of the Coast? You mean the one that they definitely didn't do, but they probably should have had the oversight to make sure it didn't happen anyways, and they're sorry that it did, and they'll make sure it never happens again. We promise. This is the second time we promised. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. If, if you're using a third-party marketing group, and you've already declared on multiple occasions that you are not using AI art in any final or finished product. And your marketing advertisements and marketing material, a thing that you're going public with. So you have a finalized version of that marketing material. So it's a finalized piece of work. Has AI art. You're a liar. Like, okay, so if it had just been they posted it, people were like, hey, this is AI art. And it was just been like, oh, hey, we fucked up. Are bad. I don't think anybody would have cared, right? Like, yeah. people would have still been pissed that, like... It happened. Especially when Wizards said it wasn't going to. The, the real issue is pe- people were like, hey, this is obviously AI art. These are all the AI artifacting that you can see in the image. This is obviously AI art. This is all the artifacting you can see in the image. And Wizards had been like, oh, hey, 
you're right, are bad. And instead, Wizards was like, no. Nope, definitely this, not true. This isn't AI art. Contrary to popular belief, this is human-made art. And then a day later, they were like, oops. I think are, it was like two days, but yeah. yeah. Oops, are bad. You were right. It so was- they didn't even say you were right. They were just like, oops, are bad. Turns out that the third party we hired to commission this piece ended up using AI art assistant fill tools. It's like... Yeah, your fan base told you two days ago. And you called them liars. Yeah, like I think that's the real issue with the hot water for Wizards of the Coast and Magic the Gathering on that one. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that they had no one checked the final piece. Well, that, Especially when there are tools to check for AI art that clearly your audience used. And well, they're going to be using in the future because you've proven before that you have a history of using AI art. Well, obviously obviously they couldn't have anybody check it because two weeks before christmas they fired 1500 people fair and and a lot of that was in-house artists and art staff yeah i'm aware so like obviously they couldn't afford to have people check over marketing material for ai art oh god no it's it's weird because like i still keep up with magic the gathering news and wizards of the coast in general yeah i barely play magic now i i still buy some magic cards specifically like the universes beyond stuff because like, yeah. i really like the doctor who stuff it's all very clever and well done and like they capture the essence of ma- it's neat they capture the essence of like characters in the card mechanics and i enjoy that it's the same reason why i'm getting the fallout cards when they come out later this year but like fallout has characters yeah yeah fallout has i'm a- pretty sure they just have power armors and death claws that's all i know about fallout death claws are getting cards uh- yeah they just have power armor and death claws that's all i know about fallout uh but i've played fallout you're like, that's a lot. I, I know a lot about Fallout. Why I don't know that? a lot. You probably know way more about Fallout than you think you do. Like, I mean, probably, but like, they've never been my big cup of tea. Like, I've enjoyed the games when I've played them. New Vegas, I do agree, is probably the best Fallout, but like, even then, I don't remember a huge amount from it because they weren't. Nothing in the story particularly intrigued me in any of the Fallout games I've played, but the games have been fine. Out of all the Fallouts, I will say New Vegas has the best side characters like companions yeah but i think i enjoy fallout 3 more than new vegas as far as gameplay goes i i new vegas just has a lot of like the map the map of new vegas has a lot of stuff going on where like you should it feels like you should be able to go to this place but mm-hmm. then like there's artificial boundaries in your way and shit. Yeah, and like, it's very much a game limited by its time, obviously, yeah. But three, a game that came out before New Vegas, map is much more, like, open and, like, easier to traverse, and that makes it feel better, in my opinion. And a large portion of Fallout for me is just wandering the wasteland. Yeah, understandable. And, and New Vegas puts artificial barriers in your way, and I don't like that. But New Vegas has better characters, so win some, lose some. But yeah, that's the only thing I keep up with magic anymore, and, like, it's just hilarious to watch all the controversies... Yeah. Like, that Wizards is slowly, like... It's not even just magic with Wizards. Like, last year they fucked up all the goodwill of the D&D crowd. Yeah, they did. They have slowly been fucking up all the goodwill of the Magic the Gathering crowd. Like, continuously and repeatedly. You know the secret layer thing? Secret layers? I know what Um, secret layers are, yeah. I've bought a few. I still have a few somewhere. And you know how they are, like, you pre-order them and then they print to demand based on the order window? No longer the case. Oh, Starting later this year, they are pre-printing a limited run, and then it's first come, first serve. Gross. Which is that whole issue with um, me- mechanically unique cards being printed in secret layers. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. It's just going to exacerbate that issue. People aren't going to like it, but, you know, it's wizards. Mm-hmm. Look, the only way I'm fine with limited runs or limited prints of things in anything, really, is one, if it's a limited print or limited run of a thing, like limited run the video game place those are fine 
because you can get the game anywhere else. That's just a physical copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anytime you have a limited edition or a limited print of something or something limitedly available that affects an ecosystem mm-hmm. of it, that's a problem. Like if all secret layers are just, hey, here's a limited run of these cards. These cards already exist. We've just given them new art. Yeah. Perfectly fine. Do it as limited as you fucking want. But when you're introducing cards with new mechanics, that's when you have a fucking issue. Yeah. It's very much the same argument that the professor of Tulare Community College makes where the style or visual element of a limited run thing, totally reasonable. Yeah, if as it's long just as it, cosmetic. As long as it's still mechanically available for players in that ecosystem. Yep. Like, it'd be like if Overwatch, a, a game I don't play. I know they have, like, a bunch of skins and stuff you can pay for, yeah. which everybody, like, complains about the skin market, but, like... You can play the game without the skin, so I don't... But it'd be like if they had a one-week sell for this upgrade gun for your characters mm-hmm. that you could equip to any character, and it just auto-hit for 100% damage every time. Yeah. And then after a week it was gone, nobody could get it. You've literally like created a mechanically useful item that is now going to unbalance everything else. Yeah. Unbalance and gatekeep gameplay. Yep. And that's what Wizards does continuously, nonstop. Yeah. It's really weird how attracted I am to the dumpster fire of Wizards of the Coast when I have all but stopped the consumption of their product. I haven't played Magic the Gathering Arena since February of last year. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. I, d- I don't I, know if I you am aware that, that you just replaced your. I was vaguely aware of it because I realized you have replaced your Magic the Gathering time with Marvel Snap time. Mm, I haven't played. I hadn't played Snap until this week, literally, for over a month. Yeah, but you had things like that when you were playing Magic consistently as well, where you would just stop playing for like a month. I think you've just substituted Magic with Marvel Snap. I think Marvel Snap and, and wrestling. And you know what? Like, I think that's fine. I think those are both actually healthier for you than Magic the Gathering, which feels weird because I just just say something vaguely positive about wrestling, and that doesn't fit the character I presented on this show. I've ruined kayfabe, and I'm sorry for that. Like, the weird part is, I'm criticizing Wizards of the Coast for mechanically unique cards, but Snap is so bad about it. Like, every week they release new cards, and the only way to, like, actually get some of those cards is to shell out money. Yeah. Like, eventually you can get them by free-to-play, but the free-to-play grind is ridiculously impossible. Like, you're three to four months behind at minimum. Yeah, I get that. But at least they're technically available, eventually. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, I, I think that's mostly what I had to talk about. I did watch Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf recently, which is apparently a classic <laughs> film. <laughs> it is all right. I want you to know, and I, I talked my friend who loaned me the movie and was like talking, hyping it up. I told him like the the same thing I told you about how yeah. about seventy percent of the way through the movie, I was fairly certain that like the whole because in the movie the two main characters George and um, Martha continually reference like their ages being hundreds of years old, thousands of years old. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and a like, lot of it comes from George just insulting Martha, but it does happen. And, like, Martha, like, insulting her father, and, like, George yeah. insulting her, her her father. But, like, there's this whole, like, ecosystem where they're, like, the highest-ranking echelon on campus as mm-hmm. far as, like, socially, because they're college professors. Yeah. Well, George's. And Martha's father is... He's the dean. The dean of the university. The head of the university. And, like, there's this whole, like, idea that they're the head of the social circles. And, like, in order to get in good with the dean, you have to get in good with George and Martha. And they're essentially, like, gods in this world. Like, they determine who succeeds and who doesn't. Yep. And this whole hundreds of years old, thousands of years old, and, like, the way they play games with this new teacher and his wife really feel, like, allegorical for, like, Greek gods and Roman gods and how they, like, viewed mortals as games. Yeah. And there was this moment, about 70% of the way through the movie, I was like, oh, oh, they, they, they are gods. This is literally just like, they are gods. N- no, uh, it's not the, that's not the story they're telling at all. Uh, George and Martha are just terrible people. Uh, like, yeah, absolutely. It, 
the story makes sense. Like the, the way it comes to a conclusion makes sense. But I was really like getting this Twilight Zone vibe, and I was like, oh, I understand why this movie's this movie and the, the play place space. lap why people like them. But that's not how it ends up. And like honestly, I feel like somebody who has the money or a social cachet to like remake who's afraid of virginia wolf should do so with my interpretation of them actually being gods and like i feel like there's a lot of like marketability there like the story makes yeah. sense with very little changes like i was explaining that to my friend who loaned me the video the movie and i was like he's like oh i never thought of it that way and i was like yeah doesn't yeah. that make sense and he's like it makes so much sense and i was like mm-hmm. spoilers for a 60 year old movie i think it came out in 62 66 so oh sorry then the play came out in 62? That sounds right. Spoilers for an almost 60-year-old movie. Um, at the end of the movie, George decides that he's going to tell Martha that their son is dead. The caveat being that they don't have a son, that the son is part of a game they're playing with the n- new couple. Well, yes and no. Their son is a game that they play between themselves that Martha broke the rules of by mentioning to the new couple. Mm-hmm. So George is going to decide that their son has died. Yep. And in my mind, this also fit with the oh, they're gods, because he can capriciously will out of existence his son. Yeah, and then Martha breaks down, tells him he didn't have to do that, and literally there's a line from, I can't remember his fucking name, I remember everyone else but his name. It's George, Martha, Bunny. Honey, her name is Honey. Honey, um, and I can't remember. I don't remember his, his name. I don't remember his name, but <laughs> the guy in the new couple. He's like, what are you talking about, lady? It's not like he's God. And I was like, oh, oh, lampshading, it's, it's so, but like, no. violent uh, lampshading, if that had been the case, yeah. Uh, it's so good. Like, and I, I appreciate the ending of the movie. Yeah. And honestly, your interpretation would work even more because at a point there, as the couple are trying to comfort Martha, George just tells them to go. And then we cut back to Martha visually mm-hmm. while she's still crying. And if they had just been gone when we came back, it would have like cemented that perfectly with your narrative because like they were told to go and they just poofed away. Would have been great. But it, Yeah, like I think there's a lot of like room to interpret that story as a story of gods maliciously manipulating people for their own amusement. Yeah. Without- and it would even make the ending where they're both just after Martha gets calmed down, how they just fall back into their old habit of just being like, okay, well, let's go to bed. Yeah, like it. Because their emotions are fast, violent, and fleeting, the way gods are often portrayed in Roman and Greek mythology. I think there's a lot of room for the interpretation, and it, you could rewrite the movie or play in a way that like that leans into those themes without like narratively changing it basically at all. Yep, it still works with that interpretation. Like the only thing that ruins that interpretation is like the very very end. A lot of, like pieces of the very end, mm. but the movie itself was fine. It's fine. I I won't talk bad about it. It's a fine film. I just I. Thought my version was better. Like I said, it's fine. Like, when you came home and you were like, I should probably watch this. I've had it for a while. And I was like, okay. And then you told me your coworker said it was Hitchcockian and its greatness. And I was like, well, yeah, it's good. And don't get me wrong. I think parts of its story are better than some Hitchcock stories. Because I think Hitchcock, a great cinematographer, some of his stories were lacking. I think... Birds, in my opinion, had a lacking story. I think... Had good effects for the time, though. The peak of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is the dialogue like the way Mm -hmm. both george and martha rattle off their dialogue is just so in like well it sucks you in i think a compelling great example of just the way the dialogues formed there is the conversation george has with the new professor outside on the swing because it rattles off back and forth between them and they do veer between so many topics but always kind of come back to one and it's the way that conversations can just grow between people especially mm-hmm. when you're drunk or tired because you get off on a fucking tangent and you're like or wait, actively, wait, 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 wait. or actively manipulating somebody which is which is even though the yep. god's interpretation is wrong george is actively manipulating this man the entire time exactly yeah 
But yeah, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I would, I would actually say if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Mm-hmm. Fair. But it's not like it wouldn't go into like my vault of best films. Like there are things yep. in it that I think are very, very good. But it just, it's not like that tier for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has some good cinematographic moments, but not a lot. I think that's probably is due to the fact that it is based on a stage play, so they didn't do much with changing angles. Mm-hmm. I think like it has three sets, roughly. The, maybe four. I would say four or five. You have the you have the house. Yes, but the house has a different room that I would consider different sets. Okay, so you, you have, have the, the living room set, the kitchen set, and the bedroom set. You have the living room set and the kitchen and li- the kitchen. Sorry, you have the bedroom set and then you have the living room and kitchen set, which are pretty much one set. True. We actually do go between them in some shots. So you have two sets there. Then you have the outside the house, mm-hmm, which counts for the swing and the porch because they're all visible in shots sometimes. Then you have the bar. Yeah. And then you have the parking lot. Five sets. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Five sets. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's everything I had to speak of. I don't really have anything. No, that's that's okay. I haven't done much, man. Like our last interstitial was in December, right? Yeah. And I don't think I've done like anything since December. That's fair. That's fair. I worked. Uh, I don't think I've even played a video game since then. I've been playing a bunch of Witcher three. I thought about playing more 3. Cyberpunk the other day, and I haven't done that. It was just too much of a hassle to go turn it on. I am finally to Skellige. Nice. Which have been... So, for listeners who aren't aware, I have nearly beat The Witcher 3 at one point, but because it was on Xbox 360... No, PS4. Because it was on PS4, and it was pre-patches... I have a bunch of quests that I can never finish because of the way they got patched and the way, like how far like, I got in the quest before that. Like the dog quest. Yeah. So I was like, and one of those quests was for the armor set I wanted. There was no way for me to ever get the armor set I wanted. So I restarted it. Yeah. You couldn't get the enhanced cat armor. Uh, I couldn't get the, the masterwork cat armor because I couldn't yeah, get the, yeah. I couldn't get the last piece of superior cat. That's what it was. I had all the masterwork diagrams. I just you couldn't could. get the superior cat armor made. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, fuck this. Yeah. So I've restarted. I am now on Skellige. I'm playing on not Deathmarsh, but Broken Bones and Crushed, whatever. Yeah. Which, when I first started, very hard. Very, very difficult. Because your first enemies are like ghouls, which Mm -hmm. are fast enemies, and they outnumber you. I would argue that no matter what level you start the game on, though, the very beginning of the game is harder than later. (laughs) Fair enough. Because you have shit armor and weapons, and you don't have access to most of your potions, decoctions, or spells. Yeah. Uh, Whereas, I'm now at a point where I'm like, oh no, the the enemy is eight levels higher than me? Whatever will I do? Also, as you get farther in the game, you get less and less hordes of enemies. Like, you face less clutches of knackers and swarms of algols and ghouls. I actually ran into, like, the end of a contract quest. Yeah. Without realizing it, and the contract quest has you fight two two waverns at the same okay. time. Oh, yeah. And, like, I, I got there, and, like, I saw the waver, the, the first waver, and I was just like, cool. And I threw a grape shot at it to keep it grounded, and then I comboed it off, and it was dead in, like, 20 seconds. It was dead so fast, I didn't realize there was a second waver in, in the fight yet. Nice. So I turn, I see the other waver, and I'm like, oh, grape shot for you. Murder you. And Gerald's like, there's got to be a mother waverin around here somewhere. Like, these are small waverins. And then a royal waverin comes soaring up the cliff face. Yeah. And like the fight is supposed to be hard because it's like you fought two waverins. You're supposed to be low on health and exhausted and like low on supplies. Now you got to fight this this royal raven. Yeah. I think that quest is actually one of the ones we see in like its original trailers because we see it tear up the side of the cliff. Yeah. When we see like a waverin introduced in the trailers. I think that's the quest that it's actually using for that image there in the trailer. And then I hit that with a grape shot and <laughs> yeah. comboed it to death. And I was like, oh, I, I, I think I got hit twice in the entire fight. I was like... Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. 
I just murder things in this game now. Because like at that point I had the I have the superior Draco toxin. Yeah. So like my attacks all do plus fifty percent damage baseline. Yep. I'm already like I saw the I, I knew I was getting ready to fight waiver, and so I was dosed up on like Thunderbolt and Blizzard and Yeah, just like, your buffies decoctions. Yeah, like, yeah like, the decoction that like makes it where your stamina recharges faster, the one that gives you bonus health, the one that like yeah. makes time slow whenever an enemy's about to hit you, your strength boost, potion, like all of these things that are like oh I, I'm just dosing cat's eye now because I have the max version of cat's eye. <laughs> so even though it like makes the game black and white, it also increases my critical hit chance by like Yeah double so you just play the game in black and white it's fine so like yeah i, I murdered the wavered and i just thought it was a 1v1 wavered fight it turns out no it was three 1v1 wavered fights back to back yeah yeah anyways witcher 3 is great i'm on skellige i'm actually like doing quest stuff but I'm trying not to like lock myself out of quests so i i occasionally will open up the wiki and be like hey if i do this quest right now is it gonna lock me out of other stuff in the future yeah fair i hate getting locked out of things which is also weird because I like I like branching story games where I have to make choices and then can never go back. And then I'm like, man, I wonder what happened if I'd done that. And then I'd never play the game again because it's too much time investment to go back and go through all the other branches. It's why in a lot of games that have like branching narratives, I will like save right before choices. You gotta save Scummit, baby. You gotta save Scummit. That's not even save Scummit. I'll save right before the choice. Play, it's it's play saving the- and it's gummy. It's a save scum. No, it's not scummy. I'll save right before the choice, make my choice, play the game out on that choice path. And then come back later to and like essentially play a new game just at that narrative split point and like follow, like sh- you could call it safe scumming, I guess. But like it's not because I'm like trying to like optimize. It's because yeah. I'm like, oh, this way I don't have to play the eight hours previous to get to this decision making point. Fair. <laughs> I actually have another topic, I guess, technically. Oh, ooh, yay. And that is the topic that I assume is already at this point fairly well known on the internet. And that is Matt Pat's retiring from hosting game theory. And film theory, and food theory, and style theory. You linked this video yeah. in our Snapchat group, and I knew that he had a big couch video coming up, which couch videos are like game theory slang or MatPat slang for like big news, important discussion videos. Yeah. Because he mentioned like, he did a video at the end of December about how like shorts are going to kill the YouTube system as we know it. Yeah. Because while doing research and hiring people for, for the theory channels... One of the questions they would ask is like, what media you intake on the regular? And like people would be like, oh, I like TikTok. But like when asked, who do you like on TikTok? Or like people just wouldn't have like creators, which for me was like wild. I literally made a TikTok because there was a creator. I was like, oh, I really like his videos that my brother's showing me. Yeah. So I made a TikTok to follow him. And like I use TikTok to follow like specific people. But apparently that's not the case. Most people don't like no creators on tiktok they just like haha tiktok video scroll tiktok video yeah i mean honestly it's somewhat similar to the case i believe if i remember correctly our conversation went when we were when we did our april fools episode mm-hmm. where we reviewed a tiktok thing mm-hmm. and we put forward these videos to chris and hunter to review and they were just like oh i've seen this one but i didn't know it was part of a series until so like yeah you gotta you gotta go follow the creator yeah like, i think they'd seen one of the like banking credit card fraud things but like not connected i think they'd seen another one of something else and it's just like no these are all technically parts of a of a series that this creator is doing yeah <laughs> you just don't see them all because it's tiktok so you just scroll through it's why tiktok is bad for building an audience unless you're just doing thirst trap content in which case someone follows you because you're not you're just going to keep popping up the same thing and they're going to forget you they've seen you before because you're doing nothing of actual content making hey there's there's a thirst trapper that i follow i don't remember his name but i can i can explain him to you and you know who i'm talking about he's the guy that does my alien roommate 
Yeah, yeah, okay. He also does a bunch of thirst trap content. Isn't his name Korean Beef? Yeah, Korean Beef, you're right. Yeah, I love Korean Beef. I haven't been on TikTok in like a year, more maybe. (laughs) But no, like I get on TikTok swiftly, like I can keep up with Nick Hill Clayton's content, Mm -hmm. and so I can keep up with the Panda Red. Mm, Panda Red. Like that's why I get on TikTok. Fair. But Maphead did a video about how like the lack of creator viewer relationship is going to hurt youtube in the long run because that's what shorts are yeah and he's like normally this would be a couch video because of how serious this content is but i have a really big important couch video coming up next month so you get gift pat here or not gift pat but uh png pat yeah gif pat no png pat that's right i would assume it's a png yeah yeah and i I knew something was coming up like you linked that video in the snapchat group also png pat wouldn't it just be easy to be like pat and g i don't know and i was like oh this is like this is a clickbait title like ah, uh, like he might be like st- starting to like let other people host the channel maybe or like he's the video is goodbye internet i was like oh that's <laughs> yeah it's got to it's got to be sort of a clickbait and you're like oh i just thought it was clickbait i was like i wouldn't put it in here if it was i watched it first <laughs> I watched it on lunch and I almost cried at lunch. I was like, it's like, I know it's so like parasocial and so kind of like cringe, but game theory's been around. To be fair, Matt Pat's doing it the same way in that video, man. But like game theory's been around for 13 years now. I've been watching game theory for 12 years. Yeah. Like Matt Pat has been a integral part of my adult existence, which is wild to say. Like I have consumed Matt Pat content regularly for a dozen years yeah that's fucking crazy man and him being like this is it i'm leaving youtube and i was like it was heartbreaking like i mean it's fair that it has garnered responses from people equating it to steve leaving blues clues basically which he doesn't help that sentiment by hosting it from a big red couch i mean there's also like there's very steve-esque vibes in part of the video where he's like Mm -hmm. I want what's best for you guys. I like I know yeah. I have to leave, but like like he God. Yep. At least from what he has said, he is still involved very much in the production of things. He's just not going to be hosting. He might still make guest appearances and stuff. Like it's still the end of like Yeah, definitely. An era. Mm-hmm. Painful, honestly. <laughs> I I don't know how else to say it. Like You see, I had the topic to mention and I knew you would just carry it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I've never been a huge game theory fan. Like, there's been some theories that I find very interesting, but it's it's just not a thing I'm super interested in because I like doing my own theories and having my own head cannons. And like, sure, some of the stuff he's done is supplementary. A lot of the other stuff is just about things that I don't I don't care about. The last four or five years has seen like a pretty like large vocal rising of people being like, game theory isn't the same as it used to be, and like it's not. But like at the same time, it's still the it's still i don't i don't know where i was going with this like it's changed obviously and like yeah so has like anything in the past four or five years if you looked at it it's changed you can argue no it hasn't and like especially on youtube an area that archives so much it's so easy to go back and be like no look at how stylistically different it is it has to have changed to survive because youtube's algorithm is constantly changing and bad and it's bad crazy fucking shifts and what it deems good and not good throughout those time periods and like well people like maybe like oh i miss old map pad i miss old game theory New game theory was still like it's not like always been my vibe. I, yeah. I, there are complete patches of m- modern game theory that I haven't watched. Like mm-hmm. especially like a lot of the, like the FNAF clone style yeah. game theories. But it's like the original FNAF theory is still a banger of a video. Like honestly, I don't think I've ever watched it. The original FNAF theory compares the first Five Nights at Freddy's game because that was the only game available at the time. Yep. To a an actual murder that happened at Chuck E. Cheese's. Oh dope. And like. One to one makes makes direct comparisons, like, yeah. and honestly, I think that might be where what whatever his name, the creator of FNAF, um, I think Scott Cawthon. Scott Cawthon sounds right. It's right. 
I think that's where Scott was going with it with it was that first game and like it only ballooned into a bigger thing later. Yeah. But makes sense. An internet without game theory is it's I guess it's not gonna be an internet without game theory. An internet without MatPat is just going to be a much different internet. Yep. See, as far as game theory and game theory adjacent things go, I was like I said, I've never been a huge game theory fan. There were a few game theories or film theories that existed that I thought were really good or I'd watch them because I was interested. Mm-hmm. But up until it stopped doing it, because again, YouTube fucks shit up. I watched, I still watch because he has his own channel now, but I would watch Austin's The Science and I would watch Gaijin Goomba, that shit on there. Mm-hmm. Because I found those two, no offense to MatPat, I found Gaijin and Austin just much more entertaining than MatPat, no offense to him. Like, he does present things well, he's a good host. Obviously, he's super popular, it just wasn't my vibe. Mm -hmm. No, I love Austin's content. Like, and I think the issue is, like, for me personally, MatPat sits, like, right in that point when he's doing game theory and film theories for the most part, where he doesn't get too much into the science. But I found myself liking food theory and style theory more because he gets more into the science of things in those two. And if we're going to break things down, I want the science of it. It's why I like Austin with the science. I will and why say. why I like Kyle Hill. And, like, Gungeon Jibba doesn't get so much into science, but he does, like, break down the history of things a bit more. It's like, a lot of they, sociology. They get into the nitty gritty of things more. Whereas Matt Pat's like, here's this theory, here's some backing evidence. His feels more like it's built towards a uh, general audience. Mm-hmm. I will say, each of the theory channels are going to be getting their own, like, main host. host. Yeah. And we've seen them all. They've all existed and on I, the theory I, channels. I'm less familiar with the people taking over film theory and game theory than I am with the people taking over food and style theory. Yeah. Like, I think that also has something to do with the fact that you've probably watched more food and style theory of the recent videos than you have film and game. Yes. Also, because the guy the guy that's taking over game theory, Tom, most of his, like, on-camera stuff has been through GT Live, which, mm-hmm. as much as I love MatPat and stuff... I mean, also, he's been around a long time, though. He had his own show back with, like, Austin and Gaijin yeah. when it first started. Yeah. And well, I've watched like, some of his. I think his was The Breakdown or some shit. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, like, I'm less familiar with Tom and the guy taking over film theory than I am with um, Amy and uh, Santi. Yeah. And at least in those respects, I really enjoy Amy and Santi as, like, hosts, so mm-hmm. I know that, like, I'll still enjoy those shows. It's just... What am I going to do now when Christmas comes around and we don't have a food theory video of Matt trying to eat Christmas trees? Like, how I mean, do, he how said do he'll you show live? back up. Sometimes maybe he's just going to keep doing how to eat Christmas trees. How do you live in a world where Matt Pat isn't trying to figure out how to eat his Christmas tree? I don't know. Maybe they're going to figure out how to eat, like, garland. Like, not the new modern synthetic garlands, but older garlands. In case you guys weren't aware, modern pine trees, the type that, like, blue fur and stuff, the type we use for christmas trees are completely edible completely completely edible as in the bark the pulp the, the pines pulp, the pines the roots you, you can eat it all it's just very hard to eat but it is edible uh yeah no uh, non-toxic safe for human consumption did you have any other topics other than matt pat going away because if not i have the near perfect segue I mean, I've almost caught up on the podcasts I've been listening to. Hmm, me too. As in, I have three episodes left of The Constant, A History of Getting Things Wrong with Mark Chrysler. And then I'll have three episodes of Our Fake History with Sebastian Major, which I was caught up, but then I was listening to The Constant. And also it was a three-part series coming out one every two weeks. So I was like a month and a half of like just about Beethoven, I believe. No, oh. Mozart. I haven't listened to it yet. And I was like... I want to listen to those all at once, so I haven't listened to them. Fair. I uh, there's some weird shit there that I could talk about, like random things I've learned. But if you have a more consistent topic, feel free. Well, we were talking about Matt Pat leaving. Yeah, and I think it's time that we talk about us leaving. Oh, true. Fair. Because it's not a permanent goodbye. 
It's more of a see you later, but Copilot's review will be taking a near four month hiatus. We'll be back on May 2nd yep. for our four year anniversary, but we are going to be taking some time off to build up the backlog, build up some bonus content for the Patreon. And in general, I wouldn't say rebrand, but re-push the brand. Yeah. Uh, do, do an advertising marketing push. Like, just try to make co-pilots... A little bit more refined. A little bit more successful. Yeah. Like, These, like, some metrics were insanely successful. By that, I mean... We still exist. <laughs> we still exist. The average podcast lasts, like, 10... I think, actually, the average podcast, like, has five or less episodes yeah. before it just stops. And we're like very nearly at the 150 mark. If Something like that. Like, on like, it's ridiculous in that point. So like in some ways, in one specific way, actually, we're insanely successful. But in a way where the uh, podcast like pays for itself or like podcast like works as like a, a little bit of a side hustle. I don't even expect that to happen. Like, you yeah, know, I would just the one thing I would like from it is that it can pay for itself to continue to exist by being like if it can pay its own hosting fees on simplecast that's like the one thing i would want from this thing yeah all the other sunk costs it's fine even if we stop recording i have a mic and a focus right that i can just use in perpetuity for anything i don't know or sell it i guess like eh. but but the hosting rights would just be nice if it could cover it itself yeah so again not a goodbye we will return but we are gonna be taking some time off I would say keep an eye on the feed because we might do like in the cockpit updates, mm. but we have some big plans going forward after May 2nd. I don't want to speak in any of those into being until we're sure that they are going to be a thing. Yeah. But just a, a complete restructuring of how the Copilots podcast is produced, when it airs, so on and so forth. That's the idea. If you don't have anything else, I think that's a good time to call it in. I mean, I would say so, but like, I don't know. What if we bantered for like... 45 more seconds oh we're not at that 45 minute mark yet no no and especially because i know we're gonna have to add out some things because uh it's pretty stormy mm. so we've had some pauses here and there you know like see that's the type of thing we deal with it's what makes some getting some episodes out hard we have not the best recording space which mm. is fine but it does mean if there's heavy traffic we have to stop talking or stop recording if there's heavy rain or wind we have to stop talking i'm still telling you recording we, i'm still telling you we could get some soundproof panels like redo your closet and just record in the closet fair i guess like early youtubers like matt pat again i'm not opposed to it i've never said i was opposed to it I don't use it, really. Your closet, because it's, like, twice the size of mine. Yeah, we just have to take out, like, a thing of built-in shelves, and honestly, they're so easy to remove. But yeah, I've looked at it. We could record in the closet, like MatPat. You know, MatPat, who's going away. Yeah, like us. Unlike us, though, his is permanent. He No, he'll still be appearing now and then, and he's still involved in the production, which, like us, we're still involved in the production of co-pilots. And, but unlike unlike MatPat, we, we have, a, we have a, solid, a solidified return date. Oh, I thought I didn't have to host this anymore. I thought I was just going to edit it and that'd be fine. Uh, I don't think we ever agreed to that. Did you? Are you finding a, a replacement co-host? No, I figured you were just going to like jump between no. chairs. No, not happening. Oh. Uh, um. If you just want to do the editing and production, I mean, I'm fine with that. If you, find, <laughs> if you can find a reliable replacement who's willing to record the night before episodes go live. <laughs> That's what the backlog's supposed to stop from happening. <laughs> yeah. Like... My only worry about like building the backlog, yeah, because while we're killing time, is that it makes it harder to make 
topical references within the episodes. Yeah. But on the flip side, how topical are our references in general? Like We don't make super topical ones. We make some that are like really topical or relevant, but most of those times those aren't topical or relevant to a, a mainstream audience anyways. Fair enough. Fair enough. And normally if we're getting more topical or uh, relevant to mainstream audience it's generally in, in the cockpit which i don't think we really need to build a backlog of those ones no it's backlogs of reviews yeah you know the ones that take effort and and time yeah that we can't just be like okay uh we got an episode we got to do sit down fucking record us just babbling out a microphone and then edit it and post it yeah microphone babbling makes makes in the cockpit the easy one it really does the only time i think in the cockpit edits get hairy is like when we have a guest or two or four have we had four? Oh, wait, yeah. Yeah. That was actually more than four, I think, if I remember correctly. That was JSD, Kant, Logic, Hunter. And um, Chris, that was five. Five, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a- Jax. Jax wasn't on there. Jax wasn't on there? No. Oh, I thought we- We've talked about Jax. We haven't had anything with him because he works a normal person job in a much different time zone. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. He did do our theme music, he which- He did, uh, and it's fucking great. You know- I actually managed to catch his stream yesterday, because he it- streams no time period where I am normally asleep. You know, I think at the end of the day, no matter how successful or unsuccessful Copilots as a podcast is, the cool things that it did was like the art. Yeah. Like Jess killed it with the art. She's a great artist. Yeah. Like anytime I see her artwork, I'm just like fucking awesome. And then Jack's doing that music. Like, yep. At least that way, Copilots has made the world a better place just because it brought new art into the world. Yeah. The new art's always great. Yeah. Even if you're not like along for the review ride. Mm-hmm. There has been reasons for co-pilots. Yeah. Also, technically, because we existed and uh, wanted, I, I attempted to make minor clout, I guess, technically, once upon a time. There is that fun, now this is Halloween art, mm. with Jack Skellington as a pod racer. It is still my banner on Twitter, yeah. and now I'm Blue Sky, because uh, even though it's no longer <laughs> uh, seasonally relevant, it is just fucking hilarious. Look. Honestly, I said it was for minor cloud. It wasn't even for that. It was just the fact that Jeff was just like, uh, John was just like, man, if this was a thing, Jeff was like, yeah, see, here I'll do it. And I was like, nah, man, Jeff doesn't take that much effort. And then I did it. And it took a bit more effort than I wanted, but it was still worth it. Now this is Halloween. Such a good picture. All right. I think we're good now. Uh, you, you think we've uh, we've uh, filled for time well enough? Eh. Eh. I mean, arguably, sure. I think that's what we've been doing for the past few years, just filling time. Oh, well, you're not wrong on that. Anyways, we want to thank you for hanging out in the cockpit. We will be back. Copilot's review will return on May 2nd. Set your clocks. We will be back. Don't set your clocks. That's dumb. Calendars. We're talking in larger units here than minutes and hours. Okay, set your watches. We'll be back on May 2nd. Because some watches have like day and month and... Yeah, fair, I guess. (laughs) You don't know what else? Set your DeLoreans. Then you can just skip there. <laughs> to be fair, if you have a DeLorean that can time travel, what are you doing? Why Why are you listening to this podcast? Why? Are, what are you doing? Fair. <laughs> Anyways, if you want to get in contact with us, there's a myriad of ways to do that. But you already is. mentioned it earlier in the episode, but we're now on Blue Sky at copilotsreview.bsky.social. Dot dot social. We're also on Twitter at copilotsreview. You can email us at copilotsreview at gmail.com. And you can find links to those, our Patreon, our Discord, our out-of-date YouTube, all on copilotsreview.simplecast.com.